0: Prime Minister Justin Trudeau visiting Kamloops today after he failed to take part in that community's National Day for Truth and Reconciliation ceremony despite being away from Ottawa and on the West Coast that same day. So he's going to be meeting now with Kamloops Nation Chief Roseanne Casimir along with community members and other First Nations leadership. So what's on the schedule for this meeting? What's it all about? Joining us now for more on this is Global National's Chief Political Correspondent David Aiken. Good morning, David. Morning, Simi. All right. So this obviously a result, direct result of what happened on National Truth and Reconciliation Day. Do we know what's going to happen today?
1: Yeah, we know a little bit about it. There's going to be, first of all, some what I would call public events, events in which the media, including global cameras, are going to be invited and and we will be able to witness um, the prime minister and Chief Casimir talking. And I think they'll probably um, take a few questions. But there's also going to be parts of today's a program that are really just for the community and the prime minister in which the media are will be asked to stand aside. It's just uh, so, some private stuff. Um, the PM today saying that, uh, the PMO rather today, saying that it's really about listening, talking to survivors, talking to the chief. Um, and indigenous leaders, even during the ceremony and afterwards after the political fallout, also wanted to make sure this is not about the prime minister. This is not about the fact that he did make a political boo-boo. He apologized for not being in Kamloops, um, and you know, heading to Tofino for a vacation, uh, I think you know, even his staunchest defenders uh, recognize that the, the optics did not look pretty good on that. His his private jet or his Air Force jet would have been flying right over Kamloops, yeah. literally at the time that yeah. the ceremony is on. But but Indigenous leaders w- said then, and they're saying again now, this this should not be all about the prime minister. It's really got to be talking about. Residential school survivors: the path forward. Um, there are still lawsuits in which the the community, the First Nations community in Kamloops, is a part of. Um, a lot of First Nations communities in the countries are suing the federal government for damages caused by the residential school system. So that's one thing. And then there's still the program going forward to properly honor, uh, memorialize uh, some of these missing. There uh, are these unmarked burial sites. Uh, find more where the community wants to do that. So there's. There's lots to talk about, about the issue at hand, about residential school survivors and reconciliation. But yes, I think because the PM is there, we'll probably have to talk a little bit about the
2: PM too.
0: Exactly. So I know this will go a long way towards, you know, repairing that relationship with the T'Kemloops-Shwetmuk Nation. But other groups, I mean, other Indigenous groups were also very unhappy to see this. Does the Prime Minister, do you think, have more work to do here?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, this is going to be continuing to be uh, one of the government's priority items on the agenda. It has been ever since the Trudeau government was elected in 2015. And depending on who you talk to, they've made uh, some progress, not enough progress. But I think the prime minister himself will recognize there's still a lot more work to do on any number of files, not just on residential schools um, and, again, trying to uh, come to terms with some of these unmarked burial sites, but some of the stuff the Prime Minister and the Trudeau Liberals promised back in 2015, like you know, getting rid of drinking water advisories. I mean, this morning I looked it up on the website, and there's still, I think, 32 communities across the country who are still dealing with drinking water advisories. Now, that said, the government has, has managed to eliminate a hundred and some odd, but you know, some keeps still popping up. Um, and then there's still issues around um, w- welfare of First Nations children um, when they've been placed in foster homes. Uh, That was a subject of a federal lawsuit. We don't know where the federal government is going on that. So far, um, the First Nations children, essentially, are winning in court against the feds. um, But they haven't decided, Ottawa hasn't decided, that they'll appeal this most latest ruling to the federal government, or to the Supreme Court. So, lots still on the Indigenous agenda, if you will. And the next big step is going to be, well, which cabinet ministers are going to lead those files?
0: That's exactly what I was wondering. And is that, we're going to find that out on, coming up, right, October 25th,
1: 26th? Yes, you've got that right. On the 26th, so there's right now, of course, technically all ministers in their mandate letters have indigenous, the relationship with indigenous peoples as the top priority. And the prime minister has said that time and again, that it's a top priority. But really, there's three ministers who get up every morning, and that is their number one job. First is Carolyn Bennett. She's the crown indigenous affairs minister. Um, and there have been some people who said maybe it's time to move her to a different role, or move her out of cabinet completely, and give a chance for some younger people, some backbenchers, a chance to uh, to lead. So she she heads up Crown Indigenous Relations, mostly involved with negotiating uh, land claims and treaty relationships between the Crown and First Nations. Then there's Mark Miller. He's a Montreal MP. He's the Indigenous Services Minister. He's only been on the job a couple of years, maybe not even that long, and by and large uh, seems to have got positive reviews from indigenous communities. He's really the one making the trains run on time. And here's something. He actually learned how to speak Mohawk Amazing. Um, just while he's an MP, which is kind of incredible. And then Dan Van Del is the Minister of Northern Affairs, the only indigenous person in cabinet. He's Métis from Winnipeg. And uh, I expect he'll stay in cabinet, but those three positions have to be sorted out really before you can start moving the whole file forward.
0: Okay, so that I guess that also tells us on how critical today is. The prime minister needs this to go well.
1: Yeah, and again, you know, going well—the metric of going well—will be, I think, is is the focus on the, the community itself, and less so on the prime minister trying to correct a political boo boo. Right. Uh, We'll have to see. It's a full program today, and the PM, by the way, is already in Kamloops. He flew there last night uh, to make sure that he was going to be there present for uh, most of the day, and he'll be returning to Ottawa later in the evening.
0: Interesting. All right, David, thank you. Thanks. Cheers. You're going to be hearing a lot in the news today about the fact that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is visiting Kamloops. He has a meeting with the De Kamloops Nation, the chief and other members, other First Nations community members as well. Essentially, it's an effort to try to repair the relationship, the damage that was done from his absence on that first Truth and Reconciliation Day that we had in September when he was instead on vacation. But there's a lot more that can be done here. There's a lot of work between, you know, the federal government and and Indigenous groups across the country that could definitely use a boost. So how can we use this moment to help fix that relationship? Well, joining us now is Rachel Ansnow, Snow, an Indigenous legal advocate. Rachel, thank you for joining us this morning. Yeah, you're very welcome. What do you think about this meeting then? Is this an opportunity?
3: I think every time uh, the Prime Minister has an opportunity, has, he, every time he meets with First Nations, is an opportunity to repair the uh, 500 years of damage that he's that have been inflicted on Indigenous people.
0: What do you think, though, needs to happen today? How can progress be made with this meeting?
3: I'm not sure, because I think he, Trudeau's used everything in his bag of tricks. He's used uh, uh, recognition day. He hadn't made it into a statutory holiday, truth and reconciliation day, and he also has, asked, uh, he also has, made um efforts to make more of a budget to find remaining children beside that maybe beside other buried beside other residential schools and he's apologized um so he's used everything that he could possibly do i don't know what more he can pull out especially since it was just such a flagrant um flagrant insult to our people when he did not when he did not actually do anything on the first statutory holiday.
0: Right. But you touched on something so interesting there, Rachel, where you said like a politician's bag of tricks, right? Which is, is it easier just to say these things? When do we see the evidence of something substantial actually being done?
3: We won't see the evidence of anything being done until until there's actually an Indigenous voice who's doing the directing. Until that happens, we're just going to keep hearing the lame promises or the one-sided uh, narrative that Canadians receive. And that is not repairing anything.
0: And what do you mean when you say Indigenous voice directing things? Do you mean like in charge, in cabinet?
3: Not necessarily in cabinet, in charge, but actually uh, the voices consulted. What, when we talk about Indigenous voices or First Nation voices and the residential schools in particular, we're talking about 633 First Nations across Canada. That is not the AFN. That is not another institution that is the actual voices of the 633 First Nations. That's what has to
4: be done.
0: Right. But if, if you've got a Prime Minister here, Rachel, who uh, clearly acknowledges he made a mistake and you know wants to come and listen, is this a chance, do you think, for some of those First Nations communities to say, okay, here's what you can do to show us that you really are sorry?
3: Well, I think they will be saying that today. I don't think there will be a lot, of, uh, a lot of trust built in one day. I think there has to be um, more, more concrete action, like uh, a follow-through, of, like in a day, in a week, that uh, the Prime Minister actually takes the time himself to try to repair this
0: damage. So what do you think are the concrete steps then that can be taken? What, what would you like to see tackled?
3: Well, I think I'd like to see that the Indigenous voices, especially at the grassroots level, get raised up. Because right now we have Prime Minister Trudeau always goes to his go-to voices. He has a cadre of Indigenous voices that uh, basically parrot what he says. I think we need to hear the actual dissension and the controversy and go from there. Because if we don't hear that, and we don't hear the voices that are actually bringing him to task, we're not going to, all we're going to hear is, you know, just a lot of fluff.
0: Right, you think you think he needs to have somebody around him who perhaps challenges
3: him more. Exactly. And
0: that has to come from the indigenous or from the grassroots level. That is
3: not from one of his already paid for voices.
0: That's so that's so interesting. So how do those voices get raised up then? Rachel, how do we help raise those voices up? Well, I think
3: there are uh, I think some of these voices are being raised up on on social media especially, you know, in the, the Indian, Indigenous Activist Network that we put out, uh, Russ Diabo puts out a strategic bulletin. There are things that are being done, things that are being said, like at the grassroots level, just that the the voices or the recommendations and the things that are contained in there are not being addressed.
0: So how do we help, though? Like, you know, from the media's perspective, then, like, how do we get to those voices? How do we know which voices we should be going to?
3: Well, I think the, the voices that are not standing beside Prime Minister Trudeau, that's clue number one. Uh, And again, social media is where these voices are being amplified right now. So I think uh, if you look at, if you watch on Twitter, social media platforms, uh, the people who are taking Trudeau to task, certainly those are the voices that need to be more or less uh, have better broadcasts or mainstream media can certainly amplify those voices.
0: So we also know that next week, right, there's a new cabinet that's going to be sworn in. There'll be kind of new letters given to them about what their assignments are, what their priorities are. What do you want to see from this next government?
3: From this next government, I think, again, we need to see the grassroots voices consulted. We need to see the people on the ground in the reserves or in the communities that are asking for the assistance. We need to have their voices amplified so that we have transparency so that we have a going back and forth of what is actually happening, as opposed to the special words and tactics being used by Trudeau and his government to say, "Oh, this is ha- is this is what we're doing." We need a report card from the actual First Nations.
0: Right. So, is this visit meaningful today? Then, do you think, Rachel? Well, I think it's uh, it's probably
3: meaningful. I don't want to speak on behalf of the the groups uh, that are advocating for this group, but I think they probably argued long and hard for hours talking to Trudeau on the actual day, asking him and, and making sure that he understood that this was of primary importance to them and primary. And it actually sets the stage for what is going to happen next, because he ignored us on that very critical day. And now he has to make some kind of uh, better overtures and a better, a better nation and nation agreement right now, where he is, talking or clearly having himself speak and a person speak who opposes what he says, having that, that dual view happening so that we know that things are actually being done for first nations across the country.
0: Right. You just don't want to hear a bunch of people just agreeing with them.
3: We don't want to hear a bunch of people just agreeing with them. or saying it's very historic shaking hands and kissing babies and seeing those pictures. We want to see a concrete action come out of this.
0: Well, I like the way you put it. That's very direct. Rachel, thank you very much for your time this morning. Oh, you're very welcome. Lots of businesses have been struggling, of course, during the pandemic, but recently things have started to get better for a lot of them, but not for owners of music venues, for live music venue owners. They continue to struggle amid the current rules. It's because of those current capacity limits. So everything else may be open for business, but for them, technically they're open, but they can't fit enough people inside to make it worth their while. And now they're worried that this is going to put a lot of them out of business. Joining us now is Darlene Rigo, owner of the Fox Cabaret. Darlene, thank you for joining us. Hello,
4: Simmy. Thank you for having
0: me. Tell me about the Fox Cabaret. What do you do there?
4: Well, we are a small independent venue in the Mount Pleasant neighbourhood of Vancouver. We're located on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Uh, I live in the neighborhood as well as a business we We try to provide an inclusive, safe, and accessible space for community arts and culture and When we are allowed to be open and our calendar is full, we mostly host live music concerts and some comedy, various cultural events and right. dance parties.
0: Well, that all sounds like a lot of fun, but what have you been able to do <laughs> during the pandemic how what have you What kind of events have you been able to put on?
4: well we've been closed twice by mandate as you know i'm sure um when we have been open we've done some streamed events and we did a fundraising feature while we were closed uh we opened last summer briefly under very strict restrictions we're closed again we're now open at half capacity we had a pretty good-looking September calendar because everyone was anticipating that come September 7th, uh, we would be able to open with no restrictions. And as we know, that didn't happen. We lost about 10 concerts that just fell out of the calendar. A few local music events remained. And, um, and they've been fantastic. They, just having live music in the space, again, has been wonderful. And the people who have come, they've mostly sold out at half capacity. Uh, the challenge for us as operators, though, is that having so few people in doesn't really cover our costs. Our staffing costs have gone up. Um, Because to meet the restrictions, we need extra security. We need someone to seat people, uh, get them to their tables, make sure they're following all the rules while they're inside. So it's been challenging, that's for sure.
0: Right. And we'd heard last week that, you know, maybe capacity limits were going to be released. Were you hopeful?
4: Yes, very hopeful. And of course, you know, I'll be very happy if capacity increases to 100%. However, in our case, um, like many general admission venues across Canada, just capacity alone isn't sufficient for us. We need the restrictions um, that stipulate that people need to, be, need to remain seated and can't dance. We need those lifted as well to make a big difference for us, for our revenue.
0: Ah. Just because,
4: yeah, like we can't, you can't seat as many people at tables as you can standing. So most concerts and capacity for ticket sales is set based on standing in the audience watching the show, not at a seated table.
0: You need people to show up and have a good time.
4: Oh, absolutely we do. And bar revenues help offset the cost as well. So the fewer people you have in there, the lower your sales. And artists also suffer because they can't sell as many tickets. Um, So there's Everybody is affected, and this is impacting impacting the live music and touring industry all across Canada, if not North America and the world, wherever right. restrictions remain in place because you can still you can they'll still
0: show the vaccine pass, right? they'll still have to oh, be absolutely. fully vaccinated
4: yeah. Well, right now, as of September seventh, they've had to have had one shot and have proof of that at the door. We check for that. Um, And October 24th, they will require to have been fully vaccinated. So a week after their second shot. Um, So that's not an issue. I mean, back at the beginning of the pandemic, politicians said that there will be no concerts until there's a vaccine. Now there's a vaccine and now there's this mandate in place. So we're just waiting for them to kind of follow through and say, we think it's safe enough now.
0: Do you think that might happen? Have you heard any rumblings of this?
4: Oh, I am so afraid to be too optimistic about it because I've been disappointed many times. Um, I'm looking at what's happening in Ontario where, you know, same thing, they did lift the capacity to 100%, but again, it's just for seeded events. Um, and of course, we're, think- we're looking at the dates and thinking that the hockey season might have something to do with this. And then Rogers Arena, they want to sell it out at full capacity. But again, that's a venue that's seeded. So I'm just not sure. I really do hope they lift it. Um, it'll be, it'll make, it'll make a big difference to us yeah. and to our employees. We we just keep losing employees who can't afford um, not to have their steady, reliable income. How much longer do you think you can continue like this? Well, we're already operating um, on loans Um so it's just a matter of trying to mitigate damages at a point um, because it's so uncertain. It's living with this constant uncertainty and trying to budget on the basis of that. And you can't really, I mean, based on what we're doing now, it's just kind of like how far are we willing to go into the hole before it's, it's not reparable anymore.
0: Right. So it feels like mm-hmm. it's it really touch and go at this point, though, isn't it, Darlene? Because It really is. you can yeah, see why they would want to serious. help, but then you're talking about closed, enclosed spaces, like how's the ventilation? There's so many other mm-hmm. questions.
4: There is, but at the same time, I do think that they've raised restrictions in so many other environments. It makes me wonder why not venues. Like, I can go to the gym and take off my mask next to someone very close by, and that's okay. But standing even masked in a venue right now is not allowed. So there does seem to be a little bit of unevenness, and I hope they put a lot of thought into the next order that comes out so that we don't feel like there is some kind of bias operating against our industry.
0: Okay, so let's so what would work then? So uh, if they lifted the restrictions and people could stand, but they still Mm -hmm. wore masks. Would that work? I would be
4: fine with that. I mean, we've gotten used to wearing masks. All of the staff have to wear masks. We're all vaccinated. I would be fine with that. I know there would be a number of people in the public that aren't comfortable with that. You know, we're not, you're not going to please everyone. But we're very concerned about keeping our guests safe. And if it's determined that wearing masks keeps us all safer, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to fight against that. I just want to get concerts going. I want to get people in. I think they serve such an important function socially and for our mental wellness. I think we need them. It's been a long period of isolation and many people are suffering who rely on live music and dancing, not just for fun and pleasure, but for their well-being.
0: All right. Well, listen, keep in touch. Let us know how it goes.
4: Okay. Thank you so much.
0: So we've been asking questions this morning about your travel plans. And I find it really interesting. It was late Friday afternoon. So you may have missed it over the weekend. I think a lot of people were just obsessing about how much it was raining. Uh, Was the fact that the United States had announced that if you have a mixed vaccine dose, you will be considered to be fully vaccinated. That was a big deal. A lot of people had questions about that last week when the U.S. had officially announced that their land borders and ferry crossings will be open as of now. I think November 8th, November 7th, November 8th. That's the date there. So yeah, people with mixed doses were like, Hey, what about us? We took the advice of health officials. We did this. Aren't we considered fully vaccinated? Well, you will be according to the U S so great idea. Great, you know, great for those people. However, we also heard from Bill Blair, who is the public safety minister. He was on the West Block over the weekend on Global, where he reiterated that Canada does not plan on changing its rules. And that is when you return to Canada from the United States, whether it's for an hour, um, you know, a day or a week or a month, you still have to show evidence of a negative COVID test. Now, we most commonly say PCR test. The complete list of acceptable tests is on the Travel Canada website. You can check that out. But essentially what they don't allow you to use is the rapid antigen test, which is kind of the cheaper one that's much more common in the US. It has to be PCR test, some kind of molecular test has to be used for you to come back to Canada. Now, those are more expensive Making it much more challenging, meaning if you're, you know, going to go down to the States, it's not really worth it if you have to spend $150 on this test to come back. You're not going to go to Point Roberts for gas or some groceries. You're not going to just go down for the day to do some shopping and then come back because it makes it, you know, that barrier is is just too high. So I was asking people if this means that you're reconsidering even longer trips. Are you still considering going down to the States for a week or having a vacation down there with this requirement for Canadians? So, you know, I got a real mixed bag of responses from people on this because we've been talking about it all morning long. For instance, Julie wrote me to say, I will still travel to the U.S., I'm just going to stay longer each time I go. Her family is there. She said the PCR test is another blow to low income people and families wishing to travel. It will add a big chunk of change to their vacation. And I thought, well, that's a good point, too. It is very expensive, it does deter people from traveling. So, what about you? Will you be deterred from traveling because of this? Let me know, simi at cknw.com or call our buzz line, 604-331-2899. Now, on the COVID-19 front, we also have that issue of federal vaccine mandates, meaning in the workforce, a lot of people very soon, if not already, will have to prove that they have been vaccinated. These are set to be implemented at the end of October, and they come after Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had pledged to impose these new proof-of-vaccination requirements across all federally regulated industries. So people are always looking for the out on that, right? They're looking for some kind of medical exemption in some cases, a religious exemption. But religious exemptions can be hard. It's a very narrow window. So we thought, let's talk a little bit more about this. Joining us now is Dr. Nazim Muhujareen, an epidemiologist at the University of Saskatchewan. Thank you very much for joining us this morning.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. Good morning.
0: Good morning. So, how, when you talk about religious exemptions, how narrow is that window? What do we know about that?
2: yeah so you know it's it, it's uh it's an important issue um that you know people um have been raising uh, uh religious beliefs practices uh, as a as a potentially as a reason uh, for not wanting to get a vaccine and um you know when we hear about religious exemptions being evoked you know for for vaccines or not to get a vaccine um, it really lacks specificity. You know, uh, when what I mean by that is, <clears throat> so what part of um, your belief or you know, or, um, you know the um, the kind of <clears throat> the, <clears throat> me, the, the religious um, uh, you know sayings that, that that is against the vaccine that 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 you're supposed to get for COVID 19. There's not a lot of detail. You know, when we hear people. Uh, talk about religious exemptions. Um, in contrast to that, you know, we hear from uh, Muslim, you know, faith leaders, imams, you know, who have said, you know, they have publicly said that uh, there's nothing in the Quran, uh, there's nothing in the Muslim faith that would uh, prohibit someone, uh, a Muslim, uh, to to uh, to get a vaccine. Um, so when we you know i think I think when we hear about the religious exemption, it is much more than religious is what I think it is it is about culture it 's about trust um, between uh, you know people of minority religious beliefs uh, again you know in relation to that you know mainstream uh, right. You know mainstream culture. You know, so like Hutterite uh, colonies. You know, people who re- uh, who are Hutterites who live in southern, uh, mm-hmm. central Saskatchewan, for example, uh, uh, usually keep to themselves. Um, you know, they um, they will go to you know they will make make themselves aware of um, of medical services, but they you know they 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 have invoked their cultural practices as uh, sort of um, as not necessarily consistent with this uh, government imposed right. vaccine
0: so what you're saying is like if you talk about it in broader strokes, the larger religions, you've got the Pope telling you know Catholics they should be vaccinated. you've got the Canadian Catholic. Council of Imams saying that yes, you know Muslim communities should be vaccinated, uh, but it's the smaller communities where it's tougher to get the message through.
2: I, I think so, and, and I think so, and uh, but also it it's it, I think it is much more than religion. Is, is what I'm saying. I think it is about it's about uh, feeling like you're on the margins, not in you know uh, you're in the outside uh, sort of uh, you know, and you lack trust. Right. And, uh, and and faith that uh, that the system you know, that, that you, who you are in, you're part of uh, is, is really serving you well, you yeah. know, and and so that is kind of gets in the way of, uh, you know, of all of this, you know, getting a vaccine and, and proof of vaccine policies and, and so on. So,
0: Dr. Mujahareen then, does that mean, if somebody says religious exemption, which is, is why they don't want to get the vaccine, is that an opportunity right. for somebody like you, an epidemiologist or a doctor or someone to have maybe a deeper conversation with that person to kind of figure out, well, what is the real problem here?
2: I think we can do our part. We need to do our part. I mean, the, the doctors and, and uh, you know, who, who treat people, who look after people at the hour of need, uh, you know, they, they are in a trusting position in, you know, in our society, in our communities. You know, but I think the people who can be even more effective uh, are, um, are leaders of their within their own community. So if it happens to be, uh, you know, the community leader or the faith leader that uh, you have a relationship with, you you know you know you 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 have known for a while uh them coming out and saying you know um you know we know each other well uh you know you you should get a vaccine because because this is the way that we're going to come out of this uh, pandemic Uh, i think they will have uh, more sway uh, in terms of changing people's minds than, um, you know, than epidemiologists, to be quite honest, actually. Right, but it just tells, uh, it shows you, know, you how
0: tricky that actually is, too. Uh, doc- oh, Dr. Mujareen, thank you so much for your time with us this morning.
2: Uh, and thank you.